Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. If I could just see your hand really quickly this morning. If you are saved and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, just lift your hand to heaven just for a second. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many of you know that you have authority because of Jesus? Amen. How many of you know that the devil has power, but he doesn't have authority? There's a difference. That means the devil can afflict and attack and and test and challenge your life. But guess what? The Bible says that when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, when he gave his life willingly and he shed his blood for your sins, he took up all authority. Amen. And that means that as children of God, as as men and women of God, as people of God, that we actually have the right to walk in victory. How many of you believe that this morning? You have the right to walk in victory, not because you yourself are victorious, but there's a saying that says that if we are born of God, then we have the power to overcome all that is not of God. Amen. I'll say that one more time. If you are born of God, how many of you are born again? Amen. If you're born of God, then Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ inside of your life gives you the power to overcome all that is not of God. How many know there's a lot of things in this world that are not of God? Amen. How many know there's a lot of things in in our churches even that are not of God? How many of you know that Ephesians chapter 6 actually confirms that even the enemy it gets to roam around the heavenly realms? See, there's a lot of things in this world, church, that are not of the Lord. And there's something that the Lord is, I believe, wanting to show us in this season that we are not to be a people that just stand back. And allow darkness to take over. We're not to be a people that just stand back and allow the enemy to just come in like a flood and just, you know, push us and move us and, 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 you know, get us to just fall by the wayside. But we are actually to be a people that operate under the authority that Jesus died that we might have. Amen. How many of you know this? But today is actually a day that they celebrate in the Christian calendar as the, as the day of Pentecost. Amen. It's... It's a day that we remember that, that this was a day that, that the Lord had given his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 for all of the believers, amen, that they would be witnesses unto God. That means that you would testify of what God has done in your life and that you would operate in the authority in which the Lord has given you, amen. I want to read a, a, a scripture to you and then we'll get into the, to the word this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 3. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 3 says this, He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. He says, But do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes before you to fight for you against your enemies and to give who? To give you and me the victory. Amen. And so church, we can thank God. I love this verse because 
we can thank God that as believers on him, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't wage war against sin. We don't wage war against death, sickness, or oppression by ourselves. Amen. We have one who went before us. We have a mighty God who went before us who has already won the victory for us, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. I love this verse. It says, when you were dead in your sins. How many of you know the wages of sin is death? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Did you know, church, what our sins, that debt that was before us, it was a debt that we owed before God. And if we could add up all of our debt, like our natural debt, like how many of you have debt? Raise your hand. <laughs> You're like, Pastor Duke, why'd you got to bring the devil into the conversation? But if we could add up all of our debt, houses, cars, you know, things, you know, hopefully you guys don't have crazy credit cards and all that stuff, but add up all of our debt and one person would show up and say, I'll pay for it. How many of you would not be in awe if somebody said, I'll pay the rest that you owe on your house? How many of you owe a lot of money on your house? Amen. Yeah. Nobody? Your house is paid off? Man, I need to get on the plan that you're on. Okay. But if you owed $100,000 in your house, $150,000, it's a lot of money, right? And somebody walks up to you and they hand you a check and they say, it's done. It's paid for. How many of you would be eternally grateful for that person? You'd be like so thankful. You'd be like, man, you know, people, you know, I, I remember my dad when I was a kid. My dad, I would ask my dad for, for money, you know, to go to school. You know, because I wanted to buy, you know, a Coke or something after school or a snack, right? And we used to have this uh, lunch lady. I, I, I don't know if anyone in here is a lunch lady, but you guys are angels of heaven. I just want you to know that. We had a lunch lady at my school that made the best cookies I've ever eaten in my life. My wife is a baker. And, and she is first place now. <laughs> I saved myself, right? Okay. But the lunch lady was first place then. And they would sell two cookies for 30 cents in this little paper wrapper thing. And I would ask my dad for a dollar. I said, Dad, can I borrow a dollar? And my dad was like the, like, uh, the most tight-fisted person in the world when it came to money. I asked my dad for one dollar. Dad, can I have a dollar? He'd go, a dollar? And he'd give me like this big old like sob story. He's like, man, when I was a kid, a dollar, I could get so many things. He could fill up his car with gas and, you know, he could go to a movie and, you know, eat dinner and come back home and he'd still have 10 cents. You know, I'm like, dude, I don't know how it worked back then, but I wish it worked that way now. But I've always understood and I've learned the value of a dollar since I was a young, young, young man. So anytime I owe money, I know how much it costs. I don't just see the number and take it for granted. I really know it's a lot. And then when I think of my sin and I think of my transgression, I think of my iniquity before God, and I think of the very things that I've done to pain the heart of God, the very things that I was born into, into this world as a life of sin, and I think of how those things have separated me from God. 
And how many times I've failed God and how many times I've fallen short of God. How many times I've read his word and hear what it says and, and still don't do what it says. Because how many of you know that's our sinful nature? It's always trying to pull us away from what God has said for us to do and live out. When Jesus Christ came to this earth and he says, listen, I'm handing you a blank check. A check that will not only secure your future, it will pay for everything that's been done. Past, present, and future. The life that I now know him as and know him for, I owe him everything. I think sometimes we, we, we have desensitized ourselves to understanding what it was that was paid for us. Did you know that we would all be end up in a Christless eternity had not Jesus shed his blood for our sins? You were rescued only because of Jesus. Listen to me carefully. You were rescued from your state of sin, being an enemy towards God and being lost only because of Jesus. And I love what it says there in verse 14 of Colossians 2. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. That is, you owed it. You were in debt to God. It stood against you and it condemned us. And it says, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. Did you know, church, that no other God can make the dead live? Amen. That was better than your response. It said, no other God can make the dead live, church. There is no other God that can make the unacceptable holy and acceptable. Amen. There's no other God that could pay the debt that you owed. No other God, church, that can nail shame, condemnation, and sin to a cross. There is no other God that could disarm your enemy of power and authority. Amen. No other God that can make a public embarrassment of your enemy except for Jesus, would you give him praise today? Jesus brought triumph and victory to every child of God through the cross. Amen. Oswald Chambers says this. He said, all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. Hell is afraid of it. And while men are the only ones to ignore its meaning. When you listen to that statement, he says, all of heaven is interested in, in the cross. All of heaven's focal point for that moment that Jesus would surrender his life was always focused on the cross. They knew that there would be no salvation for men unless the cross had been done. Unless Christ had given his life there. But listen to what it says. It said, hell is afraid of it. The principalities of darkness know the authority that the cross of Jesus carries. The principalities of this world, the evil things that we see in this world, they know the authority that the work on the cross actually carries. But the question that Oswald Chambers brings to light, he says, but men are the only one to ignore its meaning. I want to bring this up in our hearts just to see where we're at in the Lord today. Because listen, if we truly understood who we are in Christ, we would operate differently. 
If you know who you are in Jesus, you live differently. You don't live defeated. You don't live, you know, you know, struck by the wayside. When something that the enemy throws into your way happens in your life, you're not automatically discouraged and, you know, say like, oh, man, you know, everything is just falling apart. No, 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 my friend. If you know the authority that you carry in Jesus, if you know the one who died to give you this authority, then guess what? Any storm of life that comes knocking on your door, anything that the enemy would throw your way, you look at it completely differently because you know as a child of God, you have been given authority by the Son of God, and therefore you will be victorious. Amen. See, it's one thing to know that we have the victory through Christ. But it's another thing to live in it and to walk in it. Amen? It's a completely different thing. And sometimes, church, the reality of things, it doesn't always seem that way. The reality of of our life sometimes doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem as if God is always present, but sometimes the very battles that you face in your life against the enemy, they leave you feeling out worn out and defeated. It's interesting because, you know, I've I attend church often. <laughs> in case you didn't know. <laughs> when you're not here, I'm probably here. But I attend church often, and I, and I see the heaviness that sometimes people walk into the room with. The Lord gives us discernment for things like that, to see that there's a person that's heavy laden, and they're, and they're burdened, and their, their soul is, is just beat down from life. And any time I see that there's a heaviness upon God's people, upon your life, uh, uh, you know, I begin to pray because I say, Lord, break off the heavy chains. But like Oswald Chambers said, he said, it's us sometimes, it's mere mortal men that did. we don't see the meaning of the power of the cross. We ignore it. We, we take it for granted. Because I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, I didn't give this to the guys, but it says, that, it says in the word, church, it says, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. Why is it that we would choose to live burdened as a child of God instead of running to God to find rest? Why is it that we would choose to place our faith in in pharmaceuticals and drugs and doctors and, and, and other ministries and all kinds of stuff to find somehow a solution instead of going to the one who gave it all for you? Why is it sometimes that we ignore, you know, praying and spending time in prayer and communion with God than simply just running to him and finding the rest that our souls need? This morning, I want to be an encouragement to you, church, and I believe that many of you are facing your own personal battles today. And I want us to just look to the word of God and I want us to take from the word of God and and learn what it must take for us to be victorious and how can we have and walk in victory in life. This is really important. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. In battles, church, one of the most difficult things to do when the enemy is pursuing you and coming against your life is to stand firm. You need to stand firm. You need to hold your place in God. That is, you need to stand on the rock 
of which your foundation of faith is seated upon. Amen? That means you need to ground yourself in the Lord so that you will not be moved. It can be an uneasy task to stand your ground in the Lord when it seems as though your enemy is pursuing your life. It can be an uneasy task to stay, stand firm in the Lord when your world is crumbling around you. And God's people, since the days of the Israelites being freed, you know, uh, to cross into the promised land up until now, we find, church, that people quit on the verge of victory so many times. I find out so many times that people just, they give up hope and they, they stop pursuing a promise that God gave them or they stop trusting God for something because they're right there and they can almost taste the victory. But there's something that called disappointment that the enemy would love to plant in your life that will cause you to give up short of the victory that Christ died to give you. Disappointment and failure and, and, and almost you know, feels like you're beating your head against a wall because you, you say, I trusted God for this and it didn't happen. I prayed to God for that and it didn't happen. I hoped in God for this and it didn't happen. And all of a sudden it causes your faith to grow weary. It causes you to get disappointed, church. A few weeks ago on Mother's Day, I, I preached a message and I mentioned to you the seeds of God's promise are often aborted through our impatience in hardship. How many of you know that the Lord wants us to endure to the very end? For the word says, church, that those who endure to the very end will be saved. Pastors coined this phrase that he mentions to us a lot. He says, no surrender, no retreat. Amen? No surrender, no retreat. That means that even though the enemy could be pursuing you, even though there could be things that the enemy is bringing in your life to destroy you, to tear you down. Listen, church, we must stand firm. People often allow the enemy space to strangle their mind and their prayers to give up on God because they currently cannot see their victory in Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says this. Paul is speaking. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, Paul's perspective is that our present sufferings, the things that you go through in this life, they're not even worth holding up in comparison with the glory of God that will one day be revealed in your life. The stress and the, and the trials and the burdens and the weight that, uh, that, you know, of things that this life puts upon your life, they're nothing in comparison to beholding the glory of God. Now, some readers might be tempted to, to skip over what Paul is saying and to hear Paul glossing over the enormous pain that's physical and emotional. And I want to stop there for a second because how many of you have ever gone through pain in this world? Amen. I know you have. How many of you have ever gone through trials in this world? You've gone through things that, man, they tested your every shred of faith, every ounce of faith that you have. Amen? And those things, Paul, Paul like, he, he says it really quickly. He's like, you know, the present sufferings are not worth. He just skips over it. But Paul, what he's trying to do and emphasize to our ears is this. He's saying there is an enormous glory that is to come. There is an enormous prize, a reward that awaits all those who have endured until the very end. And Paul, out of all people, church, Paul understood very clearly what persecution looked like. Amen? 
Paul understood very, very well in his life. He understood pain very deeply in 2 Corinthians 11. I won't read the whole verse to you, but Paul gives a, a small sampling of his experiences. Paul said this. He said, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was in danger. I was in, in uh, imprisonment, torture, and persecution. Yet he said that that suffering could not compare to the glory of God, to the glory that would be revealed in us as heirs of Christ. And so I say this, church, though, this verse does not minimize our pain, but it simply puts it into an eternal perspective. Amen? And so on the verge of your victory, church, it always gets darkest. It always gets the most challenging. You will always experience great hardship before great breakthrough. There will always be opposition before an outpour. And I pray that we would receive these words in Exodus 14. Receive the word of the Lord that the Lord spoke to Moses and the Israelites while being attacked from an army. Verse 13 says this. Moses answered the people. He said, do not be afraid. He says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance that your God will bring you today. He said, the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites could go through the sea on dry ground. There's a few things that jump out of this passage to me, church, that I want to share with you. The first thing that we notice is they were told not to fear and to stand firm. When the enemy attacks and the enemy is pursuing your life, listen to me carefully. Do not fear. Stand firm. When you see all that is happening in your world and all around our nation, do not fear. Stand firm. When you see all the agendas that are being purported and all these things that are arising, satanic, demonic things in this society that we are living in, listen to me, church. Do not fear. Stand firm. Do not fear and stand firm. The Lord tells them to fear not. No matter what the problem is, no matter what the issue is, fear not is always an answer from God. It doesn't matter if your house is about to foreclose, you're going into bankruptcy, unemployment, you're, you're suffering from disease, you have a severed relationship with somebody, there's family problems in your life, there's death of a loved one, there's temptation and sin. It doesn't matter. Here's the deal. Fear not. Trust in God. Fear not what the enemy is able to do in your life, but fear God, church. Why? Because anytime the Lord says to fear not, it is not because the opportunity to be afraid isn't present. It's because his perfect love casts out all fear. You see, you could be in a situation where it seems like you got every right to be fearful. But the scripture reminds us that his perfect love casts out all fear. What is he saying? He's saying, don't run in fear. He's saying, run to me and cling to me. Hold on to me. Hang on to me. Because here's the deal, church. An eternal God is not affected by fear. Amen? He isn't worried about tomorrow. He's not wondering how his situation will work out. 
He is a mighty God and he is victorious in everything. And guess what? If you place your trust in him, you have nothing to fear. You have no thing to fear. Psalms 27 and verse 3 says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against my life, even then I will be confident. How many of you are confident in the Lord this morning? Amen. The Lord goes on to say, he tells the Israelites, be still. First he says, do not fear and stand firm. Now he says, be still. Now, let me ask our hearts this question this morning. Why would the Lord command the Israelites to stop while their enemy was pursuing them? Think about that. He said, stand still. If you were standing in the middle of the road and you saw a car coming towards you, I pray that the Lord has given us all the ability to, uh, there's that saying, that instinct, fight or flight. <laughs> that means you better fight or you better run. But in this instance, the Lord gives them an interesting command. The Egyptians are barreling down upon them, and they're standing at the edge of an ocean, and they have nowhere to go, and the Lord says, be still. Be still. The mightiest army in the world is about to take your life. It is about to come and destroy your life. And our natural reaction, any one of us would be to flee, to get away, to run wherever we could. But there is God's leader shouting out, be still, stand firm, and watch the salvation of the Lord. There's moments, church, in our suffering where we want to run and hide and do and get outside of the will of God to try to find an end to the pain and the suffering that we are dealing with. And sometimes we need to just sit still and stand still and be still and know that he is God. There is rest when you actually come to that place and say, you know what? I will not move because he has not told me to move. I will wait on the Lord. I will stay steadfast in the Lord and I will watch the salvation of the Lord. Moses declared in that moment the wonderful truth of the promise of God. That is the Egyptians would be destroyed and that the Lord himself would fight for them and that they just needed to stand still, stand firm and watch the salvation of the Lord. But when a severe problem comes against your life and it seems that problem has no solution, the natural tendency of your heart is to flee. It is to run. It is to get away. But this is not always God's way. God would say, stand still and stand firm and watch me deliver you. Isaiah 12 and 2 says, surely God is my salvation. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. How many of you know the Lord to be your salvation? Amen. But does it look like that when the bank account's running low? Does it look like that when you have a headache? See, we're quicker to run to a bottle of aspirin than we are to pray over our life. Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The third thing was this. The Lord directed the Israelites through Moses to move on. To move on towards their victory. The third challenge in facing problems is a surprising challenge that the Lord gives. 
He tells Moses, stop crying out to God. Stop complaining. Arise and go forward. Now Moses had just, you know, gave a stirring challenge to the people of God. He gave him a challenge. He said, do not fear. Stand still. Believe God and watch the salvation of the Lord. Now, how many of you know that when you're encouraging somebody else, you know, you sound all tough, right? But when the situation comes against you, 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 you cower quickly. I literally encourage and lift people up for a living. It's what I do every day. People come to me, ask me for prayer. People come to me, ask me for encouragement. People, you know, are asking me, and I'm constantly pouring out my life into other people. But sometimes, even in myself, in my, my flesh, and in my life, I don't even hear the words that I say. I don't even recall the promises of God that I know his word says concerning my life. And this is exactly what was happening to Moses. Moses is saying, stand strong, stand firm, wait for the salvation of God. And then he's over here like. (laughs) He's all nervous. He went back to his tent and he was gripped with fear and he was crying out to God. He's like, I heard you say what you said and I told your people, but I'm shaking in my boots, man. How many of you have ever prayed for somebody? I pray for a lot of people, but uh, you've prayed for somebody, and then you, behind closed doors, you know, you've got faith, like, Lord, move in their life. Lord, touch them. And then behind closed doors, you're like, ugh. Man, I hope he does. I say that because that's the reality of our nature. That is who we are as people. Moses was gripped with fear himself. He had obviously become hopeless, and he was terrified, and he felt helpless. But notice what God did. The Lord met his servant's need and God told Moses, he said, why are you crying? Stop crying. Get up and tell the people to go forward. Now, what can we learn from this church? In facing any problem, there is always a time for prayer. Amen? In facing any situation, there's always a time for prayer and there's always a time to cry out to the Lord, a time for studying the word, analyzing the problem, planning what you can do, but there's also a time to quit blaming others for the problem. A lot of times as Christians, we, we think we're so faith-filled and we're so hopeful in God, but yet we, we sulk. You know what sulk means? We complain and we cry. And we worry. And you call your amiga to tell her about your problems. And the Christians aren't sharing the gospel. They're just sharing novellas of their life and, their, and, their, and the, all the crazy worried stuff that they go through. And the Lord is actually looking for people to stop overthinking. The Lord is actually looking for people that would stop complaining over it. The Lord is actually looking at people that would stop stressing about it and worrying about it, amen, and that they would actually arise and go forward. They would move on, and they would trust God. How many of you trust God this morning? And it's time to move forward. Don't let the enemy plant real estate in your heart and in your mind. What does that mean? Don't let the enemy set up camp in your heart and in your mind to fester over an issue and over a problem. It's time to actually take a hold of what the word of God has said concerning your life. Get up and move on. Say, Lord, I trust you. 
I believe God, and therefore I'm going to move forward in you. Because if God could give his son for the payment of the world's debt of sin, surely God could turn your circumstances around. Amen? Surely God could break the chains of addiction. Surely God could heal sickness and disease. Moments after staying be still, the Lord demanded that they arose and went forward, church. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm and let nothing move you, but always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's something about standing firm in him and there's something about moving in him. The Bible says in Acts 17, 28, I don't think I gave this to the guys. Can you pull it up? Acts 17, 28. I hope I'm right. If it's not the right verse, then we'll... we'll, Okay, it's right. For in him we live... Everybody read it with me. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let's read it one more time. For in him... We live and move and we have our being. That's really important. Amen? That if you're not moving with him, then you're outside of his will. If you're not moving in step with him, then you're not moving in step with the Holy Spirit. It's really important for us to understand. Any mountain can be moved with the faith the size of a mustard seed. But the Lord is looking for hearts that would trust in his name. Amen? Hebrews 10 and 36 says this. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. Perseverance is a part of getting to the promise. Amen? Perseverance is a part of seeing the victory that God has for you come to pass. Watchman Nee said this. He said, long-lasting victory can never be separated from a long-lasting stand on the foundation of the cross. I'll read it one more time. Long-lasting victory can never be separated from a long-lasting stand on the foundation of the cross. The next thing that we need to do in order to see God's victory come through and into our life is stay on the straight and narrow. How many of you know that the Bible says that broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few find it? Have you heard that saying that cheaters never win? Right? Cheaters never win. Going outside of God's plan will not change the way that he has commanded you to walk. Amen? Going outside of the will of God for your life has not changed the way that the Lord has commanded you and I to walk. Jeremiah 18 and verse 15 says this, My people have forgotten me, and they burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. They made them walk in bypaths and on roads that were not built up. The New Living Translation says that last phrase like this. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and they walk in muddy paths. You see, when you forget the ways of God and you forget what the Lord is asking of your life, you're going to go down a dirt road. You're going to go down a muddy path. You're going to go down a path that the Lord had not chosen for you to walk in. And there's something about us understanding this. Number one, always, only through Jesus is our victory. Amen? 
But the Lord has also given us commandments that we should follow. He's commanded us to listen to the word in Matthew 7, 24. He's commanded us to do his word in James 1, 22. He's commanded us to study from his word in Ezra chapter 7. He's commanded us to pray at all times in Luke chapter 21, 36. He's commanded you to have faith in Galatians chapter 2. He's commanded you to walk in the spirit in Romans 8. He's commanded us to flee from sin in James 4, 7. He's commanded us to live out his will, Luke 19, to love others, Matthew 23, to preach the gospel, Mark 16. The victory was secured through Christ on a cross, church. Do not forget that, but a victorious life is also lived through a relationship with Christ. Dare I say that many people would be saved but never inherit and receive things that Christ died to give them on this earth because they live an unholy life. Think about that. The salvation that we have, that is ultimately the rescuing of our souls, the payment for our sin, the salvation that we have in Jesus is secure by faith in him. Amen. But there is a responsibility for you and I while we're still here on this earth to walk out and live out the word. In Galatians 5, Paul says this. He mentions to a group of believers why they had strayed from a right way of living for the Lord. And in Galatians 5, 7, he said, you were running a good race. You were running a good race, but who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? He said, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Sometimes as Christians, church, this happens to us. That is, you're doing well and you're doing fine in your walk with God until you start fellowshipping with somebody new at work. You're doing excellent in your life. You're doing well until you started listening to some trashy gossip or news. You were doing real good until you stopped obeying the truth. And Paul asked the question, and I ask it to us this morning, what or who has caused you to stray from God's commands? What or who has changed your path? Jeremiah 6 verse 16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths and ask where the good way is. And walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There's three major ways that we go through suffering in this life. Attacks of the enemy, testing of God, and self-infliction. Attacks from the enemy is because you have an enemy. And he full well knows that if you are a child of God, if you bear the name of Jesus, if you shout the name of Jesus, he's going to do everything he can to stop that shout. The second thing that we see is that we, we know that, you know, because we have an enemy, we also have a God that also tests you and allows you to go through trials to purify your life and your heart. Did you know that most often the trials and the testing for God are ultimately to prove that you're faithful? They're ultimately to show that that you are being refined and transformed in the image of God every single day? You know what? I don't like tests any more than you do. But I welcome the testing if it makes me like Jesus. I will welcome the cross and the burdens of life if it ultimately results in me looking like Jesus and living like Jesus in this world. 
The tests that come into your life, they are, they are to sometimes break you down and cause you to crumble because guess what? We are supposed to die. Not just a death that would one day send us off into eternity, but we are supposed to die to ourselves, church. We are supposed to die to the ways and the things of this world. But the third thing and the third way that sometimes affliction comes into your life is through our own disobedience. It's through our own stubbornness. It's through our own walking how we want to walk and thinking that we can walk however we want to walk and not thinking that we will reap what we sow. Amen. And the Lord is looking for a people that would persevere, that would go back to that ancient path so that they could find rest for their souls. Proverbs 4 and 13 says, Hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. It is your life. And finally today, we must endure until he returns. The testing, the affliction, and the attacks, they're not going to stop. But Pastor Duke, didn't you say you were going to give us good news today? The good news is this, is that your Savior and his blood and his life is still as powerful as it was the day that the first drop of blood hit the dirt of this earth. And it's still as powerful today. He is still mighty to save, amen. He is still all powerful. He is still able, amen. He is still the one that you must place your trust and your hope in. In the moments when God is desiring patient endurance from us, endurance, the enemy sometimes deceivingly wants us to misinterpret it as punishment from God. I'll say that one more time. In the moments when the Lord is desiring patient endurance from us, the enemy wants you to misinterpret it as punishment from God. Some people grow callous in their relationship towards God because they feel like God's just given them a bad deal. That God has just somehow dealt them these cards of life that have, that have just been a horror, horror story. Some of you were married at one time and, and that man walked out on your life. And you think, well, that was just my cross to bear. You know, some of you, you know, were born into drugs and addiction and all kinds of stuff. And you just think, well, that was just my cross to bear. Some of you were born into all kinds of generational curses and you see sickness and disease running rampant in your family. You think, well, that's just my cross to bear. That's just my cross to bear. I guess that's just, it, it is what it is. And the enemy, though, sometimes wants to plant that seed to cause you to believe that because of your life and, and your wickedness and your sin, that God is punishing you over and over and over. But I have to remind you, I have to remind you, church, I have to remind you that the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, it's for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for hope in a future. There are plans to prosper you. They are not to harm you. And so the Lord is speaking to your life and he's saying, listen, you must endure. 
You must endure. Now that doesn't mean that we just have to go through it all and bear the weight of it all because God is just this punishing God. No, church, it means that we will see the deliverance and the salvation of God in the land of the living. That means that you will see God's salvation in your life and in your family today if you trust in Him. This is the God that I know and this is the God that I serve. Isaiah 64 verse 8, I love this. He says, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We are all the work of your hand. How many of you remember, church, that he's the master designer? He's the potter and you are the clay. He is the one that forms. He is the one that shapes. He is the one that molds. And guess what, church? In the moments that the potter is pressing upon your life, it's not going to be comfortable. In the moments when the potter is forming and stretching the clay, it's not going to be comfortable. In fact, it's going to be really uncomfortable. It'll be so uncomfortable at times that you feel like you cannot take anymore. I know I've been through the pressing. I know I've been through the stretching. I know I've been through the times where the pressure is so great, it's so big. It, it, it amounts to such a, a level in your life that you feel like you cannot take anymore. But listen to me, church. There's so much wisdom in understanding this Father that we have. And that is this, that he would teach us this to show us that pressing and stretching is all part of the perfecting of God in your life. It's all part of the work of God in your life. Because if 15-year-old Duke, when I got saved and, and, and first gave my heart to Jesus, 15-year-old Duke would, would have never been able to stand here before you and testify of God's goodness. God had to allow me to go through a series of breaking points in my life. God had to allow me to, to, to suffer in ways when, when I thought, you know what, Lord, I, I shouldn't be going through this. But guess what? How many of you know that he knows what's best? I said, God knows what's best for your life, church. He knows what is, what is, what is more, you know, he knows the steps that you take before you take them. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord. The scripture says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. I love this verse, but it says, A son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And sometimes, church, the testing is all about teaching. The testing right now that you could be going through, it's all about teaching you something about God. One of the greatest tests I had in my life came just a few years ago in 2017. My father got the worst doctor's report I had ever heard in my life. He had stage four pancreatic cancer. Gave him three to six months to live. And at that point in my life, church, I'll be 100% honest with you. I think I had gotten to a point in my walk with the Lord where I wasn't really walking with him. I was just going through the motions. Now, I don't know about you, but I could admit that as, as, as a pastor in this church and admit that to your life. Sometimes, church, we just go through the motions with God. We just come and go. We just sing the songs. We stand up. We sit down. We show up whenever we feel like it. We never read the word. We never pray. We never truly have a relationship with him. 
And God allowed this, this, this affliction that was, was brought towards my dad's life. God allowed this affliction to like wake me up. Because I thought I knew God. I thought I trusted in God. And I know that I did. But the Lord was like bringing me to, into a whole new level of trust. To a deeper level of trust. And there's something that the Lord always allows in your life, churches, that when he takes you through different seasons of life, it's so you can always grow closer to him. And the enemy, though, in that same season of trial would want you to do the opposite. They want you to run from him and feel as though God has abandoned you. I remember the words of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and he said these words, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the very Son of God felt for a moment what we feel at times as though God has forsaken us. But how many of you know that three days later, what once felt like being forsaken was actually fulfillment of his promise, amen? It was actually the fulfillment of the promise of God in his life. And the scripture says of Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of all eternal salvation for those who would obey him. And, and I believe right here is a great key for us here today, church, as you endure until you fully receive salvation of the Lord and he raptures us up to be with him, never stop learning how to obey him from what you've suffered through. There's a saying that says, don't curse your crises. Don't curse it, welcome it, welcome it. Because in that season that I went through with my dad, in that season, God was doing more in my life than I could ever explain to you. God actually restored my faith in him as a father. God restored my faith and my trust in a whole new level, church. And I remember, and I've told you this testimony before, but for two years, the Lord woke me up at 3.30 in the morning. And some days I didn't want to wake up. Some days I didn't want to pray. Some days I didn't want to look at him in the face. Some days it were really hard, church, because I didn't know if I wanted to trust him or I wanted to be angry with him. Some days I did not know if I wanted to just like, you know, say, God, I give up or, or Lord, I, I just stand on the promises of your word. And that's what suffering causes you to do. But I'm here to encourage somebody this morning that the Lord is wanting you to draw closer in this moment. Christ in his greatest moments of pain and anguish, Christ in his greatest moments of heartache and suffering and feeling betrayed and embarrassed and shamed, he knew this one thing, and that was this, that the Father had a plan. Now, how many of you know right now, no matter what you are going through, the Father has a plan, church. No matter what suffering you're facing, the Father has a plan, church. He knew that the Father's ultimate plan, the will of God, would be to bring a crushing in his life that he would endure. I want to read to you Isaiah 53. Because when I read this about Jesus and I read this about our Lord, it so cuts my heart. And I pray this morning that you would know what Jesus went through for your behalf 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Talk about not having friends. He wasn't just despised and rejected by a person. He was despised and rejected by mankind. That includes us. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. And yet we held him in low esteem. That is, we did not give him his rightful place. We did not crown him as king in this world. It says, but surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God. Hmm. See, when people look at Jesus and they look at the cross, do they see victory or do they see punishment? We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. You know the word transgressions actually means your sin and your past sin. It's like a generational thing. It's a generational thing that says he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. For all the past, for all of those things. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities is like a legal term, church. That was the legal indebtedness. He was crushed so that you could be debt-free before God. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. It goes on to say, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of every single one of us. Your sins. His father laid upon his life. Your sins, your wickedness, all the things that you've done in your life, the Lord laid upon his son Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? <laughs> People protest the most ridiculous stuff nowadays. People rise up for their cause and they rise up for something, but yet nobody protested. Nobody said, don't send Jesus. No, they shouted, crucify him. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And it says, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion amongst the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. It says, for he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. First Corinthians 15 and verse 57 says this. 
Thanks be to God because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you just thank him right now for a moment? Amen. And my encouragement to you is this, church. We need to hold on until completion, until the Lord raptures us. Amen. We need to stay steadfast and firm in our faith. And the Lord will prove faithful to lead you into victory. Matthew 6 and 33, one of my favorite verses says, So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. William Law said this, if you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, in the end, it will make no difference what you've chosen instead. And I'm here to encourage somebody this morning. Church, there is no victory without battle. I said, there's no victory without battle. We will not see the salvation of the Lord unless we go through some things in this world and in this life. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.